I just want to open up in prayer before we get into the Word. I'm, I'm quite excited. How could you not be excited at this time of the year? Really, how could you not? Some of you don't look too excited. So I'm hoping by the time you leave, you're excited. Oh, Lord, we just come here this morning. Lord, as we look in your Word, Father, may we all leave this place. Father, as we move into Advent, as we move into this Christmas season, I ask that everybody here would come to realize the true meaning of, of Christmas what it's really about, that you, you're the only king that left your throne and you came down, Lord, to live amongst your people. You're the only one. You're the only Lord. You're the only one that has existed before time, during time, after time that would ever do something like that because you loved us so much. Lord, may we not lose the real meaning and the true joy of Christmas. Father, usher us in, Lord. May a spirit, Lord, of Christmas, may a spirit of Christ invade this place this morning, and may we as people take that out as we move out into this world. May we be agents of change. May we go against the grain with what we see on the TV in terms of advertisements, everything that says, buy this, you have to have this, you have to do this. Lord, may we come against that. We come against that in your name because that is not the true spirit of Christmas. So we as a church, we as a people, we will fight against that. And Lord, may this picture that I will try to paint, Lord, that uh, as a, a simple human being, Lord, I ask that you would just use me. Take my words, Lord, anoint them, Father, and may people leave here with a passion to get into the Christmas story. May they get into your word and get accustomed with it again. May, Lord, I come against that, the spirit, Lord, that says, I know the story and I know it well. Lord, show people something different. Give them new light today and hope. Amen. <laughs> I want to start with, uh, take your Bible, if you have your Bible, you can open it to any page, any page. Just open it up. Probably never been asked that before in a, in a sermon. Just open it up anywhere you like. Do you ever notice, just look on the page or pages that you're at, do you ever notice, see all the white space on that page that you're looking at right now? See all the white space? Wouldn't you say that the white space on every single page in the Bible is fertile soil for questions? Think about this. Fertile soil. Like, you read a verse, and then there's white there, and sometimes you have to stop, you have to ponder, you have to ruminate over something that you read. How many of you are with me? You've been there before. You read something. Oh my gosh, I have to stop and question this. Well, I'm thinking a lot about that over the course of the past two months, and I was thinking about, like, examples you know, do you think, like, let's start here. Let's start in Genesis in the beginning. Do you think that Eve ever ate fruit again? Really? I'm, I mean, serious. At some point in her existence, she's with Adam somewhere along the lines of time. Somebody must have offered them fruit. What was that like for her? How about somebody like Noah? Do you think Noah slept pretty well in storms? Really? Do you think he slept well in storms? I don't think so. Somebody said, yes, I don't. How about somebody like Moses? Do you think Moses avoided bushes for the rest of his life? Really, when he came across the bush, did he just kind of avoid it? How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Did they take their fireplaces out of their homes? Were they worried about the fire? How about Jonah? Did he ever eat fish? Did he ever go on a fishing boat ever again? How about the New Testament? How about Peter? Do you think Peter ever tried to walk on water again? Guys, I can do it. I'm going to, Peter, don't do it. You're going to sink to the bottom like a rock. And there he is. He gets out and he tries to do it again. 
Those are the questions. You read the Bible. You stop after a verse. You have to think, what really happened? I wonder, I wonder if this really took place. And as we come in here this morning, I don't think there is a topic in the Bible where it has to be at the top of the list, a topic where one must come and ask a lot of questions. There is none more so, I think, than the Christmas story and the birth of Christ. We have so many questions as you read the characters come and then they disappear. They're here and you want to be like, hey, I want to ask you a question. And then they're gone. Here for a second and then they're gone. I want to know. I want to sit down. I want to talk to some of these characters. I have so many questions. I want to ask the shepherds, did you ever hum the song that the angels sang? I want to ask the wise men, what was it like to actually worship a toddler? What was that like? But at the top of my list of individuals that I'd like to ask some questions to, Joseph, the adopted father of Jesus. I have a lot of questions that I want to ask him. The Bible really, friends, come on. When you really think about it, it's akin to or analogous to, do you ever sit behind a fence, like a wooden fence and the knot holes, and you can kind of see through? You get snapshots. You can't see the whole picture. Isn't that what the Bible really is? That's exactly what's going on because you see this guy, Joseph, and the title of our message this morning is not your average Joe. Don't you like that title? Really is a good title if I would say so myself. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) And here you have this guy, Joseph, who in the beginning of the story, it seems like he has a really prominent role. And you want to ask him, you're left, you want to ask him some real questions. Joseph, what happened to the shepherds? What happened to the wise men? What happened here? What, What happened to you? Where did you go? We don't have many details about you, but I have a lot of questions that I want to ask you. Do you think he ever, like, this is what I would want to ask him. Did you ever arm wrestle with Jesus? Did did Jesus ever let you win? No, really, really. Were you ever sitting down at dinner? Did you ever open your eyes as you were praying as the father? Did you ever see your son looking at you and watching you and wanting to model you? I have so many questions for this guy, Joseph who seems just like an ordinary man, an average guy, an average Joe, here in this story 2,000 years ago in a town called Bethlehem, I want to ask him some real serious questions because he is so ignored. Even the donkey that Mary is riding on on her way to Bethlehem gets more press. She, the, the donkey gets more love. So many characters we talk about, and Mary is the star. Last year, I don't know if you remember, I gave a sermon, and I, and, and I did the same this year. I spent a lot of time studying just his life. And we looked last year at Mary's life. Mary is the star. Is there a woman through history that has graced more magazine covers than Mary? Maybe Oprah? But I mean, you look at Time, you look at Newsweek, U.S. News and World Report, whatever the magazine is, Mary is really the one that is the star, and we focus on her. And why? What do we know? As, as you walk in here, you already know there is a wedding that is coming up. And I was at a wedding last night. It was not a fun wedding, but I was at a wedding last night. 
And I was thinking about it. As the DJ, he ushered in everybody, you know, all right, here comes the bridal party. Woo! I was sitting there. I don't know any of these people. I'm there with Megan, one of her colleagues. And the DJ is like, doesn't the wife, doesn't, doesn't the bride look so beautiful, simply ravishing? And I wanted to be like, how about the groom? What about how the groom looks? He's there too, right? You go to a wedding, nobody ever talks about the groom. And there were all, there's a, oh my gosh, there are a ton of TV shows. And Megan had to help me on this. I didn't know all of these TV shows that they existed. My Fair Wedding. My fair, now, they have wedding in there, but it's nothing to do with the groom. The groom is not asked any questions. What do you want at the wedding? They don't ask him. Bridezillas. That's a show, and some of you I know watch it. A wedding story. There is not a TV show that exists out there. I don't know of a show called Groomzillas, where they look at the groom. What do you do as a guy? What did you do for your wedding? I just cared about the food. That's all I really cared about. Imagine a scene, though, and here's the groom. His tuxedo doesn't fit right. I mean, what is he going to get upset? What is a guy going to get upset about? There are these women. What are you, you, your wedding dress. Oh, my gosh, it has to look the right way. The flowers have to be the right The centerpieces. Oh, this and that. Everything has to be just right. Oh, the bridesmaids' dresses and the music. It goes on and on. And I, girls, ladies, I understand that, and that's wonderful. But nobody ever talks about the guy at the wedding. We're going to give him some love today. You should clap. (laughs) And so the story starts here. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the beginning of Matthew. And I'm going to start right in the first chapter. I'm going to be in chapter one. I'm I'm not going to, you ever look at the genealogy, right? The genealogy of Jesus. Many of you probably skip it, right? You look in the Bible, not even even the, the birth story, the nativity story, but in most of the Bible, when you get into the whole genealogy and this one, this, you just kind of skip it and you just lose your train of thought, right? Well, I just want to focus on a little bit at the beginning of the story of who this guy is, Joseph. And Matthew 1.16, it says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. This is part of the story. Joseph is talked about when Matthew is trying to lay out a very clear picture of the genealogy of Jesus, where Jesus comes from. He's laying this out, and he shows us this. But I also need you to understand, and I, I do have a verse on that. I'd like to show you this. Look at even before that. I want you to notice the names that I underline. It says, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashan, if that's how you pronounce it, and Nashan the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab, Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king, David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Why do I underline those four characters? Those are the only four females you see here in the whole genealogy tree. Those are the only ones. Would you, and many of you probably know some of this, but I'll give it to you anyway. Tamar, a Canaanite, poses as a harlot in order to blackmail her father-in-law, Judah. Oh, that's pretty nice. Rahab is a Canaanite as well. She is a prostitute. Ah, wonderful. Um, Ruth is a Moabite. Now, all of these characters, and then finally Bathsheba, 
who from the story with David is in an adulterous relationship. She is seduced by the king, so give her that. She's not the seducer. She is seduced by the king. All of these individuals, to some extent, have a checkered past, and their moral, moral character is in question, is it not? How many of you as parents have sat down with your kids, honey, today we are going to look at the story. I want to teach you something from Bathsheba. We're going to look at Tamar's story. We're going to look at Rahab's. You don't do that with your young kids. You look at Esther, and you, t- you look at Deborah, and you look at Mary. You don't choose these women. And you look at the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Is the gene pool polluted? Is it polluted when you look at these women that are in there? Come on. This is what's going on in the story. God is sending us a message, friends. He was sending the world a message that they were average, ordinary people just like you and me, people that had sin, people that had done wrong. These were not great exemplary people in any way or fashion, ordinary people like us. And that's the story in which we see this character, Joseph. And he appears to us in an interesting way. It's a classic boy meets girl story, right? The boy meets the girl. And I have to give it to Joseph. If you don't know already, Mary in the story is anywhere. Scholars say that she's anywhere between the ages of 13 and 15 years old. Joseph is much older, and we must commend Joseph being an older man, having a younger wife. Pretty incredible. Many of you didn't get that. Um, the age difference between Megan and myself. Yeah, okay. Um, but I, we commend Joseph for that. Typical but classic boy meets girl story. And I see this couple, right? Can't you see him? He's a carpenter. Can't you see him in like the backyard? He's got the knife out and he's carving in the tree. Joseph and Mary forever, right? True love. Can't you like really see him doing something like that? And he's, he's has, he has modest expectations. He's head over heels for this girl. He doesn't think anything. It's just a normal story in this little obscure town. He doesn't think anything's great. anything great's going to happen. He is simply in love with this woman. But one day his world will fall apart. And when it does, we realize Joseph really isn't average at all. Or if he is average, we should all be so average. That's what you really have to say as you read the story. And I know this is a stressful time of the year for all of you. In case you didn't realize it, Thanksgiving is over. It is over. It's now put it in high gear. You have to go shopping. You have so many gifts to get. You have parties to go to. This is the most stressful time of the year. And I'm ushering it in. And yes, it, was very str- it is very stressful for you. But I want to take you to the groom and the bride, looking at both of them, mainly looking at Joseph, and show how this was such a stressful time for this man. And how we look at the story and we miss so many pieces. It's so easy to miss the stress, the duress that this man is under during the first Christmas. So will you travel back with me 2,000 years to look at the story in detail? Will you? I'm looking for a response. In Matthew 1, 18 through 25, this is where, giving you the background, more background of the story. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph was a righteous man, underline that in your Bible, and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. 
But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be the child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to the son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Oh, the text is so rich. If you have a pen, you'll probably want to write some things down. And there is a word in here, as I go to the previous slide, that word righteous, the whole, this whole message... The whole story of who Joseph is, there's, more, there's always more there in the text than you think. Just saying, I know everything about Joseph. No, you don't. I didn't know. You have to, in studying this, there's so much. And I think I just scraped, the, it's the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more there. But looking at this word righteous, here's what the word is in, in Hebrew. The word is sadiq. Let's say it together, all right? The Hebrew is sadiq. Joseph was a righteous man. He was a sadiq. Now, it's a guttural Hebrew sound. If you say it right, there should be a fine mist that you spray on the person in front of you. Let's do it, all right? Ready? One, two, three. Sadiq. Very nice. Germs all over this place right now. Yes. What does this word mean? This is important. I said everything hinges on this. This is the thesis of the message. Joseph was a sadiq means that he did everything. He was somebody that people emulated. He, was, he is not just an average guy in this community. Before the story with Mary, before the birth of Christ, he was somebody people looked up to. He was somebody that followed all of the rules. He followed the Torah. He was a good observing Jew. He did not keep his carpentry shop open late to make a few extra drachma. He did not have ham sandwiches with prostitutes and tax collectors. No, this was a guy that fastidiously followed Old Testament law. He was some, it's like in our world where a businessman wants to be maybe a CEO of a company. That's what they aspire to be. Where a Jets fan aspires to be a Giants fan. I handed in my resignation after the, other, the game the other night. No, 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 clap. It's not, it's not a happy atmosphere. I handed, my brother has his hands up. I am now a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. I have handed in my letter of resignation. When another team scores three touchdowns in 52 seconds, I'll stop. Oh. I'm sorry, I'm in church. I, I thought I was, sorry, I forgot. So Joseph is somebody, he is a sadiq. But, friends... He is a sadiq with a problem. You see, because Mary is pregnant, she's with child, and they have not had, they have not been together, they have not had relations. He knows that. She knows that. And let me show you, you have to go back to the Old Testament. You know what Old Testament law said about this? Let me show you. Deuteronomy 22, 21. She should be brought to the door of her father's house and there the men of her town shall stone her to death. She has done a disgraceful thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge this evil from among you. Now anybody, anybody that was a, anybody in this culture would have understood 
what was to be done. There is to be a parade that is led by this man, Joseph, and they are to stone her in front of everybody. Everybody is to see this. And you must see the tension in the story that he is a Sadiq, he is a righteous man. So here he has, he, he's conflicted because he loves this woman, he loves her dearly. But on the other side, he is a Sadiq and he is supposed to follow Old Testament law. Oh, what is this man Joseph supposed to do? The stress that he is under on the first Christmas is not talked about enough. He is a Sadiq with a serious, serious problem. And I love what one, trans, one commentator said. I'll leave it up there for you. Wait, am I going? I'm going the wrong way. When it says that Joseph... Um, Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. This is what one scholar said. The best translation of the passage is probably this. Although he was a righteous man, in spite of the fact that he was a Sadiq, he didn't want a scandal. Let me say that again. Although, that's good. Although he was a righteous man, in spite of the fact that he was a Sadiq, he did not want a scandal. You must see what is going on in this culture. Sinners are excluded. You must follow the laws. And if you don't follow the laws, there are consequences for you. Everybody would have known what Joseph was supposed to do in this story in leading the parade and having Mary stoned. Can you imagine the conversation that Mary had with Joseph? Presumably she is the first one to bring this to Joseph's attention. And there she is, and she has to tell him, Joseph, I have good news and I have bad news. Right? It's a good news, bad news kind of story when you really think about it. The bad news is, well, maybe the good news first. The good news is that I haven't been unfaithful to you. She's probably saying that to him. The bad news is that I'm pregnant even though we're not married yet. What is this man supposed to think as Mary comes and tells him that she is pregnant? A gift that has been conceived, a child that was conceived by the Holy Spirit, the power of God. What is this man supposed to think? Is he really supposed to believe this? And there is Mary, and she continues on with the story, and she tells him, an angel came to me, Mary, hail Mary, full of grace, you have found favor with God. You're going to have a miracle baby, and all generations will call you blessed, except Protestants. And there'll be a last second pass in a football game named after you, a Hail Mary. Do you ever really, th you think about that, right? You watch a football game, I always think of that, I'm like, Hail, a Hail Mary. Who, where did that start? Where did that originate? A Hail Mary. It's a pretty, it makes a lot of sense. When you look at the story, though, almost certainly his parents, looking at history, his parents would have arranged this marriage. And a betrothal was, it was basically, it basically meant that you were already married. It wasn't like an engagement that we have in our day where there is a, you're waiting for the ceremony, you're waiting for the actual wedding. No, a betrothal in that day was a legal step and required something like divorce to be ended. So here is this man, here is the tension. What is he supposed to do? He wants to be compassionate on one end, on one end. But on the other side, he knows what is expected of him as a Sadiq in that community. He knows that justice is supposed to be served. He knows exactly what is to happen. So friends, what, is this, what does this man do? What is, he, what is his, his choice? What are his options? We just basically said them. But look what happens in, look at Luke, what Luke says here in 
and it's not in there. But that's okay. You know what? The angel tells him, I forgot to put that verse in there. The, in 120, the angel says, Joseph, do not be afraid. When the angel comes to him, and the angel, so the angel comes to Mary, then there's an angel that comes to Joseph and tells him what is to happen. Joseph, do not be afraid. You know what that word afraid means? You can write that down if you want to look that up later. Scholars will, will say that when he, the angel is saying, Joseph, do not be afraid, it's do not be afraid that your reputation will be tarnished. Do not be afraid that even though you are a Sadiq in that community and everyone looks up to you and everybody respects you, do not be afraid to take this woman as your wife. Do not be afraid, friends, to do this. That is exactly what is happening here in the text. But his whole reputation, the work of a lifetime, will be trashed. Do you see that? Do you see the tension? If he takes this woman in, it's a small community. We, right? In a small town, everybody knows your story. Everybody knows what's happening personally in your life. It's no different here. He realizes, if I do this forever, my name is tarnished. It is ruined. It is marred. That is the stress and the pressure that this man, Joseph, is enduring. And so what does he do? It says there in the text, it says it in Matthew, it says that he takes Mary home as his wife, which is a legal step, friends. That was a legal step that one would take. When he takes her home, the text is saying he will indeed marry her. And the second part of the legal step is he is the one to name the child Yeshua, Jesus. Another legal step. What is Joseph doing? He is saying, I am taking my reputation. I am taking who I am. And I will, it will be tethered to this woman and this child whose reputations will be marred forever. Pretty amazing story. Tying his life deliberately to the destiny of these other two individuals. And then look even later on in the, look later on in the text. Look at, look at, look at Mark 6, 2, 3. Look at this. To show you that even years later, his reputation is still tarnished from what has happened. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, Jesus and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him that he, even he that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Now, you may not think those names are really... You look at those names, you know what is so interesting about his siblings? The names that are listed here? Mark wants us to see... These are, now, these are translated in Greek. But when you look at their names in Hebrew, it's Jacob, it's Joseph, it's Judah, and it's Simeon. Those were the names. Mary and Joseph are betting the farm on the fact that this Jesus, their son, is actually the savior of the world, is naming them after the patriarchs in the Old Testament. That's how far they are willing to go with this, and they are believing with every ounce of inside, everything within them, that this is really true. And then you want to know what a slap in the face this is? Isn't this Mary's son? Oh my gosh. You would never, ever refer to somebody as the mother's son. It was always about the father, even if the father was deceased, which Joseph probably is by this point, right? He's deceased. 
You would never refer to somebody as the son of the mother. It's akin to in our day when somebody is the son of a blank, a very crude term, talking about the mother, a son of a, and you can fill in the blank, fill it in your heads. That's exactly what is being said here. So years later, the reputation of everybody, of Joseph, of Mary, and of Jesus is still tarnished. It is still marred. How come we don't talk about this at Christmas time? Really, we don't. Everything is so uplifting. Can you imagine the rumors that were swirling in this town about Jesus? When Jesus starts his earthly ministry, can you imagine the rumors? Oh my gosh, that's the, that's the kid that was from that relationship with that Mary and that Joseph. He is illegitimate. He's the son of A. That's what people probably said about him. Years later, his reputation is still tarnished. And scholars think, well, we, we, it's pretty safe to say that Mary and Joseph are looking at Jesus, that he will be the one, friends, that will ultimately redeem humanity, redeem community, that it will happen through their son. This story is so scandalous, is it not, on so many levels? Is this story not scandalous? It's the scandal of love. That's what this is. It's the scandal of love in every which way. And I think of Jesus. Maybe God decided that Jesus, who would later be called the friend of sinners, should be raised in a family that knew firsthand what it felt like to be regarded spiritually as a second-class citizen. He understood Why do you think when he's sitting down with tax collectors? Why do you think when he's sitting down with prostitutes? Why did he always go to bat for them? Because he knew from the time he was a kid what it felt like to be ostracized and ridiculed and mocked because of his family situation. Friends, that is not by accident. God had a plan before time and he knew what he was doing and he set it into motion and he said, this is the household in which you will live and this is how people will treat you and this man, Jesus, when he got older, it was righteous indignation. And when he saw somebody go after a prostitute or somebody go after a sinner, somebody that was marginalized, he said, oh, no, no, I knew what it was like to be treated like that, and I will not have that not on my watch. That is your Jesus. And then you bring it to Jesus' life as he's older. I'm going to give you a picture. Can I, Rachel, you can come up and actually play. I'm not going to speak for that much longer. I have this rock here today. I want to show you a story that is tethered to the story of Joseph and Mary. And it takes place later on. And let me read you the passage. It's found in John 8, verses 4 through 6. The woman that is caught in the act of adultery. That's what the story is here. The text says, Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing them. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Oh. (laughs) The teachers of the law, the Pharisees are all there. They are all sadiqs. They think that Jesus is a sadiq, or he claims to be a sadiq. They think they have him trapped. They have caught this woman in the act of adultery. And what does Jesus do? They're all waiting. They have their stones, and they 
just can't wait. They're going to fire that stone at this woman. They can't wait because righteousness, she has sinned, and righteousness demands that as Sadiq's, the Old Testament law demands that justice has to be served here. So they ask him, all right, teacher, you're a Sadiq. What are we supposed to do? This woman is caught. And for 2,000 years, friends, it has been debated by scholars and commentators. It's the only time that Jesus writes something like this. And he gets on the ground and he writes in the sand. We don't know exactly. Some people say he was writing the Ten Commandments. Some people say that he was writing the laws that were violated by the people that were watching through the window the act, in the act of adultery, the, these two individuals. We don't know exactly what was written, but I want to put before you, maybe, maybe, maybe he wrote one word. Mom. Because he thought back to a 13, 14-year-old young girl who was in a community where people wanted to stone her because of the relationship that she had with Joseph. And Jesus Christ at that moment, you can't tell me, friends, don't even try, you can't tell me that at this moment when Jesus writes this down and he sees this woman caught in the act of adultery and he sees all these Pharisees and the teachers of the law and they have their stones and they're ready to throw them at this woman, you can't tell me he is not thinking of his parents, he's not thinking of Mary and what happened many years ago and he's not thinking of his deceased father who gave up everything that he had, his reputation as his sadiq, and he says, I will cast my lot with them, with the mother and with Jesus. I don't care what it costs me. If it costs me my life, if years later people don't respect me, it doesn't matter. Oh, what a story. And every single one of the Pharisees and the teachers of the Why did I start here for Christmas? Friends, we're a stone-dropping community. We're not a stone-throwing community. That's who we are. And you know what? What is this story, the scandal of love? What is, it, what is it calling us to this season? I want you to find somebody this Christmas season. Is there somebody in your life that is difficult to love? Is there somebody in your world that is really difficult to love? If you can't think of someone, let me know and I'll find someone for you. Really, is there somebody in your world that is really difficult to love? Well, I would ask you, over the weeks, it's, it's November 25th, we have exactly a month until Christmas Day. I would ask you, who is God calling you to? Is there somebody that is excluded? Are there people that are really, it's, come on, I mean, you think of the people in your world that are easy to love, and they give love back. I mean, babies do that. The mafia does that. I mean, so, you really think about it. Such, I'm talking about people that are really difficult to love in your world. Who are those individuals? Will you, over the course of the next month, will you be somebody that tries to include them? And if you're somebody that has been very judgmental and it's easy for you to cast stones, may you be somebody that drops your stone. Or stones, plural. May that be you this Christmas season. As we come to this table, friends, we remember the story of what Joseph did and how he gave up everything, his reputation, who he was as a Sadiq for his family. He was called, he's not your average Joe. He was not average in any way. He was extraordinary. 
and it leads us to the relationship. Can you think of what, right? Don't you think about the relationship that the father and the son had? That here is Jesus from the time he's young. When did he find out about this story, about what his parents, what his, what his father did? Can you imagine that conversation? And I think of one who walked around during his lifetime, not just his earthly ministry for three years, and one who gave himself for those that were lost, for those that were gonna perish, those that were on the outside, those that were excluded, and ultimately one day it led him to a cross, and he said, I will give up my life. The scandal of love on so many levels, this is the scandal, it's part of the scandal of love, the sacrifice that Jesus made on that cross 2,000 years ago. And you're invited into it today, this morning. I ask that you take it seriously this Christmas season. Go against the grain. Will you be somebody, get into the word, read the, Christ, the whole Christmas story. I have another character we're going to look at next week that I've never preached about before, Simeon. We're not going to have Christmas messages the whole month. That's another reason why I started today. But let's get into as a church, as a people, as a community. Can we get into the word and look at this Christmas story? And Lord, I ask that you would give us new eyes, Lord, as we... Lord, as we take the elements this morning, Lord, I, I ask that you would make us see, Father, make it come alive in a new way. Give us a new appreciation, Lord, at night as we look into the sky and we think about what that first Christmas was like in that stable and the, the, the smell of the animals, Lord, and the cold, crisp air. And there's that young woman, Lord, and the shepherds and Joseph wise men. Lord, just give us new eyes to see the story like we've never seen it before. Lord, and I thank you for that man, Joseph, as a father, Lord, with a son. I thank you for what he did and what he modeled, not just for Jesus, but what he modeled for us as fathers and as parents. Give us, Lord, strength to be like him. Lord, when everybody, people don't understand, Lord, give us the strength to do what's right. Regardless of what people may think of us, give us the strength to do that this day, this season. Amen. Ushers.